Good morning, West. How's everybody this morning? Everyone online, good morning. Um, usually when the boss is away, I'm the one that gets elected to come up here because basically nobody else wants to act like a fool. Since I already am one, it's easy. I'm the default guy. But today is different. Today, when I heard who's speaking, I was, please, may I be the one. Um, I don't know if he knows it, but this man means an awful lot to me. He exemplifies what the church is when your family is 700 miles away and you need a brother and a friend. Is a guy like this um, that can be that and more. Um, his story's awesome. He's even more awesome than the story. And I would like to ask you to welcome my friend, Brad Rano. Thanks, buddy. Morning. Thank you, Adam, for the introduction. I hope that I can live up to it. Um, so, yes, Andre did uh, come to me, and we talked a little bit about me get, telling my story this week. Um, it's kind of an appropriate month to do that, with uh, the month of February being Valentine's Month. Um, story about love, and with Amy Coles preaching last week about love. So, my story is a story of about three different love stories. So... You oblige me today. I'll uh, share my story with you guys. Um, as a child growing up, I grew up in uh, Decatur, Illinois, for about the first 14 years of my life. My mom really wanted us to go to church, so we went to Mount Zion United Methodist Church. I always thought it was kind of cool. Uh, I had a little preacher time. We'd go to church, and the preacher would call us down front, and we sat there with the preacher, and he would tell us stories and stuff. And I always thought, you know, this is kind of cool. You know, we got our own little time with him, and then we'd go off to Sunday school and do our little crafts and. It was really neat. Um, so I really liked that. But then I also spent the night at my friend's house a lot. I had a good friend growing up. His name was Craig, and he was Catholic. So it was very confusing to me. I would always sit in the um, pews, basically, and during the uh, communion and whatnot, I always had to stay there. And I always kind of thought, well, why do I have to stay back when they're all going up and, and doing the things that they're doing in, in the Catholic Church? So it was a little confusing, but, you know, I was a kid growing up, so I didn't really think much about it. Um, Fast forward to about when I was 14, my mom and dad got divorced, and um, it was kind of a you know, big shock to a 14-year-old. I had an older sister who was off in college, and then a younger brother, and so me and my dad, I chose to live with my dad, and we moved out to Phoenix, Illinois, or Phoenix, Arizona, and 15-year-old Phoenix, Arizona, kid with his dad alone, God was the last thing on my mind. I was not you know, interested in God at all. So basically, was out there living, going to school, riding BMX bikes, racing and doing all kinds of fun stuff, getting motorcycles, uh, doing things that a 15-year-old would do in, in Phoenix. It was a great town, you know, there's a lot out there, especially back uh, in that day. So doing different jobs, Phoenix was not the best move for my father uh, employment-wise, so I was basically working three different jobs, uh, trying to help... Um, 
you know, me and him survive and live out in Phoenix. So that was, it was tough. One of the jobs I worked at was, was called the trampoline park. Yes, they had them back then um, in the 80s. They, they, they're not a new thing to the kids out there today. So I worked at a trampoline park, and it was on the other side of town. Phoenix is basically divided into two parts. There's Center Avenue, and you have streets and avenues. So I worked on the other side of town, um, but I went to Deer Valley High School, which was on the other side. So the high school, one of my uh, good friends, her name was um, Shelly, and Shelly was, uh, w- was with me at Deer Valley High School, but she had a cousin that lived on the other side of town. And I was working one, one day at the trampoline park, and it was Shelly's little brother's birthday. And they were on their way out to uh, a movie theater out by where I worked at this trampoline park. And, you know, everybody says God's got, you know, your life in, their, in his hands. He directs things, and what happens in this decision that Philip made that day ultimately changed my life. She, they were driving out to the movie theater to go see a movie for Philip's birthday, and Philip, you know, she asked Philip, hey, do you want to go to a movie, or Brad's working the trampoline park. Do you want to go there? And he goes, let's go to the trampoline park. Let's see Brad. So, of course, they turn around and come into the trampoline park, and like I said, ultimately decisions you know, change your lives. So they come to the trampoline park, and Philip comes running in, and they start jumping and everything like that. And the next thing I know, Shelly and her friend, her, or excuse me, her cousin walked through the gates. And there I met Angel. That was the first time I met her was at this trampoline park. And there's a picture of her today. This was head over heels, fall in love with her. You know, she was, I was 17 years old. She walked through the gates, and here I am, this 17-year-old kid. And I'm trying to show off for her, do all kinds of stuff on the trampolines and really impress her. Um, I guess it worked. Because uh, they gave me a ride home. I, I rode my BMX bike everywhere. So they gave me a ride home. They threw the bike in the back of Shelly's car. And they took me home. And her and I just uh, started dating after that. And I knew that she was, you know, she was the one. I was going to be with her for a long time. So that's really how God really has decisions in your life. They, Philip could have easily said, no, let's go see a movie. And who knows if I have ever would have met Angel. So... I met Angel, and over the next year, we started dating, and it got, I, I come to find out a lot about Angel, obviously, dating her. Um, she had a very rough childhood. She basically uh, was uh, born addicted to heroin. Um, her biological parents were drug addicts, so um, she basically you know, was a, a preemie, addicted to heroin, and really struggled as, as a child when she was four she was taken away from her biological parents, and her grandpa basically started raising her. Um, and this was out in Phoenix, and there was a, you know, a lot of stuff going on then. Um, so her, her grandfather started raising her when she was four or five years old. Her uh, biological grandmother passed away when she was young, and she basically was left with her grandfather, who then remarried into, uh, to another lady. And then they got divorced. And she was living with this lady. So it wasn't no blood relation at all, but this lady was now raising her as her mom. Good lady, but she, you know, she had her, her troubles as well. She was a little bit of an alcoholic. She owned a bar, so Angel was not you know, in the best environment. And the family life that she was in had a lot of struggles. So she struggled with depression a lot. And you know, I didn't know about depression back then. This was the 80s. This is before a lot of stuff was really brought up about it. So we just kind of, you know, went about it, and we, we did the best that we could. 
her senior year of high school, um, we went to separate high schools. Her senior year of high school, she basically got kicked out slash moved out and moved in with me and my father. And so my dad drove her to high school literally every day uh, for the last bit of her time. And then we graduated um, high school together, you know, in, in separate, at separate high schools. But we graduated at the same time. And so it was, it was a tough year, but um, I knew that she was going to be, you know, with me. So we basically made the choice. She moved in. We went on and lived our life. And then I went on to uh, college. We moved, we moved in together and, and out at ASU. And we, so we lived together um, going off and on. And uh, from there, you know, we basically decided um, I'm moving up to Michigan and I decided, hey, you want to come along with me? And I said, you know, I'm moving to Michigan. There's nothing left of me for here in Phoenix. I would like you to come. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're in this for the long haul. So she moved with me to Michigan. We lived up there for a year. We moved down to uh, then Sugarland, Texas. And that's where we got married. Um, we decided we were together dating for about four years. We decided to go ahead and get married. We went to the Justice of the Peace. So it was just on a... I think a Wednesday afternoon, we said, you know what, this is May 1st, it was May Day, so we just like, you know what, let's go get married. I was 21 years old, um, she hadn't turned 21 yet, she was going to be later that year, so we thought it was a good time, we'd been dating for about four years, we thought it was the right time to get married. So we got married, again, you know, she struggled off and on with depression, but we were managing, we were a young, young couple in love. Then we decided to have a child. Um, things were going good until uh, September of 92, where we found out that Angel had an incompetent cervix, and so we lost our first child, Kyle. That was, uh, that was very hard, obviously, for a, uh, for a young man um, getting ready to have a son. I was very exuberant, um, was really excited about it. It was just starting out my life, getting ready to have a son, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, um, Angel's in the hospital delivering our uh, baby boy, and um, he was still born. So it was very hard. So I really was very confused um, about God at that time. I, you know, cried out to him many times in the hospital why why this was happening. Wasn't sure if he was even existed. You know, a lot of the struggles in life that were going on. So I just really didn't know about it. Um, but you know, things things progressed through there. Angel really fell into a deep hole um, after this. Obviously. The loss of a child that really affects you. So we we continued to uh, we continued to go on with our life. The good thing is we found out from our doctor then that um, with the procedure, Angel could still have children. So we were like, okay, that's good. So you know, at least there's that hope in in the world. <clears throat> Time goes on, three a couple years passed, and we have our first child, Michaela. Um, she was our star. She was our um, angel that, you know, basically God given us. Uh, we, you know, it, it is that true story. She was our first baby, man. We did everything. The pacifier dropped on the floor. We sanitized it in the dishwasher. You know, we, we did everything the first, you know, child parents do, uh, by the book. I mean, we had stacks of books. I mean, so she, she was our, she was our girl. And, um, so she came along and that was in Sugarland. A couple moves later with my job, I got a new job. We moved up to Pennsylvania we had our second child, Maddie. And the story goes, as you know, second child, you know, it's a little less um, stuff. So Maddie's, Maddie's my uh, rebellious child. She takes after me, so that's, that's good. She, she is my girl. She looks a lot like her mom, so it does, uh, 
It does. We, we butt heads a lot. But, and then a couple more moves later, we end up down in, uh, here in Mooresville. And that's where Molly was born. So I've got three daughters moved in three different states, um, born in three different states. Uh, it's, it's all good. They all got their own little things. Molly's our, our shining star, you know, the baby of the family. So she did good. Off and on, Angel, though, still struggled with depression. You know, she had, she had moments, obviously, that were great, you know, with the birth of the children that obviously gives them life. But um, she still struggled very much with depression. Growing up in the family, in, in her household, obviously, back there with uh, the type of mother that she grew up with, the family she grew up with, there was a lot of abuse, um, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. So there was a lot of that. So she, unfortunately, had a lot of those tendencies already in her from the very start with her biological parents. So she really struggled with depression. Um, she tried to basically give up on life um, a couple of times, and, and we, we tried to get her in church, um, we tried to get her in therapy, and you know we, we did everything we could, but unfortunately some of the medication that she would take, she would abuse, so then we would try to do different things. Um, she really just struggled with it, and she lost a good friend uh, of hers, her name was Jenny, she passed away, and it really kind of put Angel over the edge. Um, not only that, then I lost my job um, with what I was doing. Uh, had had a really good job, and it was a Chinese company, and they basically said, we're shutting the office down. So I lost my job uh, in 2012. But the good thing was I found another one really quick. Within 30 days, I found another job. And how um, how appropriate this job was, I never really thought about this job. And, and again, God's decisions in your life, man, he really had a hand and me finding this job, and I didn't know it at the time, but it will come about. Um, again, he really just had me, and I didn't know that. He, he was there protecting me and making sure that I was on the right path. Um, after, you know, finding this new job, we, we still tried a lot of different things. I landed at the Cove Church, and it was, it was good. Um, I, was doing, uh, I was doing production at the Cove Church, where I, which, which I loved. And kind of as you guys see me here running around with a camera or climbing ladders stuff, I love being a part of the church. It really felt like I, was, I belonged there and I was doing something. Um, so that's where I was, was going. And we, again, we tried more medication. We tried therapy for Angel. Again, just the depression really was, was strong. Um, I didn't, again, not really knowing the effect and how strong the disease was. Um, you know, you, you hear about it more and more today. But again, back then it wasn't as prevalent um, our daughter Maddie started playing soccer um, at a very young age because that was a sport that I loved. Uh, and all through school, she had a good friend, Lane Smith. You all know Lane. And her and Lane were playing soccer together, and that's kind of where I met Andrea, was on the sidelines of the soccer fields. Um, it's funny that you all know Andrea very much. Um, I met her many times because she would often show up at the games, at away games, and not have any money to get into the stadium. So... <laughs> I would always be the one to help out and pay her away. She always paid me back, but it was just always funny. She would say, hey, can you help me out and get me into the game? So, yes. So, Andrea and I formed a very quick bond at, a, at an early age. And you see lots of pictures. Jane, Lane was a, was a part of our life growing up, so she knew us very well. Um, and, again, just, uh, you know, more depression from Angel's side. And she just really, 
really did not know what to do. She was hurting very much. Um, we tried everything. You know, I was trying to raise the kids and keep them normal as possible and the life is normal. And, and then, you know, they had um, angels really suffering from depression and we just didn't know what to do. And, and finally, uh, um, Saturday in July, uh, I came home and Angel finally had um, succeeded and given up. And um, it was tough. It was a um, very tough day. Here's uh, my wife of 21 years, a lady I'd loved for 25 years, um, had finally done it and finally had given up on life. And it was devastating. Um, didn't know what to do. Here I am, a dad with uh, three daughters, not knowing what to do. And um, Andrea was gone on vacation um, in, in Mexico and couldn't get a hold of her, so... I got I got a hold of uh, Luann, and I talked to Luann. Luann was on vacation as well, but she was able to she was in the country, and I was able to talk to her that night. And just said it was a Saturday night, so I, you know, I asked her, can, "What what can I do? What can I do?" She basically, you know, she talked me through it, and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go ahead and bring the girls to church tomorrow, um, just because I want to try to keep things normal." You know, I asked her if she could maybe talk to the person who was heading up Wired because Molly was really big into Wired, you know, all the girls were, and so I asked Luann if maybe that person could work into the message somehow that, you know, when people die, they, they still go to heaven, and, you know, everything's good, they're not gone, because I hadn't yet told Molly. She's only nine years old, and so she didn't quite understand, you know, what's going on, there was a lot of commotion at the house, um, I sent her to a neighbor's house during all this so that, you know, she wouldn't be there, um, Mick was... Mick was the uh, really the, the big one for me that helped me out through all this. Um, so Luann said, yes, we'll take care of it. So I came to church the next day and basically sat out there in the, the bleachers. And I was kind of still new. I, I was a nobody at, at this church. And I just sat out there and, and uh, listened to the songs and listened to the worship service. And it was great. But just basically crying underneath my breath and, and trying to just think, what do I do? What do I do? You know, my wife is gone. I'm going to have to raise three kids. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a dad. I, I don't know what to do with these girls. So I try to do everything I could to keep things as normal as possible for my daughters. Um, and here's really where the next love story comes in. Me being new to West and, and being a part of it, the people of West, the people of Williamson's Chapel, and the people of my friends really stepped up and just showed me what true love was. Um, People I'd never met before signed up to bring us food. Um, people were just doing anything and everything they could to, to take care of my girls, to, to shuttle them to soccer practice and, and to bring them to church and everything. And, of course, I had uh, several discussions with Andrea. Um, several times I would go to her and ask her just, why, 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 why would God do this if he truly you know, loved me, loved my girls? Why would it allow someone to hurt this much that they would want to be, you know, not here anymore? She tried to explain it. She tried to tell me everything that was going to be okay. And, you know, she just said, have faith, have faith, have faith. And I, w- I, I kept doing that. I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have faith. You know, it was really tough, but I, I, I said I would do it. I would have faith even though I was very, very confused. Literally, here I am, a father now of an 18-year-old getting ready to go off to college. 
Um, I have a 13-year-old, and I had a 9-year-old, so I'm trying to do the best I can to raise the three daughters. And literally within 30 days of this, my 18-year-old is going off to college. And again, God shows you signs. You don't ask for signs. God just kind of shows you, and it's whether you listen or you don't. We're taking Mick to college, and there she is in her dorm room. And literally, as we walk into her room, there's a big hole in her door on the backside. And we just see this hole, and we thought, man, that's a bummer. But we opened the door, and that was on the other side of it. And we just we both looked at each other and, and literally started bawling. If that's not like a picture of an angel, you know, wings, um, sitting there staring at her every day she opens her door, you know, we thought right there, Mommy's here looking over you, you know, her first year of college. We just, we loved it. We said, wow, you know, God's just giving you a sign. Um, So now she's off in college, and I'm raising the other two. And again, I'm talking to Andrea. What do I do? How do I, you know, how do I continue to have faith? What do I need to do to to basically get through this life of, of raising two daughters, you know, by myself? She said, just have faith. You need to be all in. Why don't you come to work at West? Because we could use you, and I was ready to go get a part-time job because I needed more money to raise three daughters, one in college. And she said, come to work at West. We really don't want to lose you. I said, okay. So I went to work driving the trailers, and then I ended up in the production room. And now you kind of see me all over the place uh, doing different things, wired or whatnot. But really, that that was kind of a lifesaver because I truly was all in. And the people of West, again, just showed me love. Um, they constantly showed me love. Adam is one of my best friends. Um, he's, he's been there for me from the very beginning. They play, him and Gary played at, Andrew's, or, uh, at Angel's funeral. So really, the best, uh, the best people of, could be, I figured it was all in, all or nothing. You know, let's, let's go into this um, work thing. I can do it. So I started working here at West. And again, I asked Andrea, you know, what do I do? How do I, what do I need to be doing? And she goes, again, just have faith. You're not alone. You know, God is there with you. And again, God doesn't give you signs. You have, I mean, he gives you signs. You just have to look for them. You have to answer them. They're there. Trust me. Here's one of the biggest ones that I, that put in front of my face that I was, it was bold as any can think. I had a cyst in my shoulder and it ruptured again asked one of our uh, staff people who was there, Luann, asked her, what do I need to do about this? She goes, you need to go see a doctor. <laughs> so you need to get that removed. And I said, okay, cool, you're a doctor. She told me to go see one. So I went to go see a, a, a surgeon, and uh, they said, yeah, that needs to come out. So I went and had it removed, went under the knife, and had the cyst removed. And basically, um, a couple weeks later, I went back to that doctor and had a, you know, the little patch on it. He took the patch off and gave me a mirror, and I looked at it, and I was like, there's a hole in my chest. He goes, yeah. I go, you, you're going to sew that up, right? He goes, no, I'm going to leave it open. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you, you gotta, it'll heal from the inside out. So I was like, okay. He said, just make sure you cover it when you shower, and you'll all be all good. And there was. There's a nice little hole about that big right here in my collarbone. I'm like, okay. Sure enough, it healed from the inside out. Slowly but surely, it slowly filled in. Well, again, I'm talking with Andrea, as I always do, you know, being on staff, we talk several times. I was talking to her with it again and just kind of, you know, confused about things. And she, she started talking to me and, and telling me stuff. And, 
here again, God's working through her to talk to me. She, she's telling me, Brad, you just got to have faith. You're not alone. You will heal from this. It'll take time, but you will heal from the inside out. I looked at her with this look, and she was like, why are you looking at me like that? And I was like, you're never going to believe my story, what, what I was told just two weeks ago. So I told her the story, and we just sat there and laughed and, and cried and laughed and cried. So it was truly God talking through her about me healing from the inside out. I mean, God used that sign of an actual hole in my body to heal me. So it was really, it was really revealing that, you know, as long as I trusted God, I was all in. I gave him everything. I was reading the scriptures. I was doing everything like that. Um, you know, again, God having a life, a hand in my life. I'm starting to figure it out. Um, the job I was working at with, at Bryson, didn't know it again, very Christian-related company. We sponsor several missionaries. Uh, the, our owner, David, is really passionate about um, Christianity and, and being um, all in at church as well. And like I said, he sponsors several missionaries. And again, very, very um, big sign this mission, one of these missionaries that we sponsor at, at Bryson is a, is a young female, and she often goes off into different countries and does things. David had called me into his office one day, and I said, um, hey, I want to wanted to share something with you. I was like, okay. I thought I was in trouble. And he goes, no, no, you're all good. But I wanted to share a story with you that I thought you might, you might like. Um, a mission, our missionary came and, came and saw me a couple months ago. And I was like, okay. Um, he goes, she shared with me that God laid a word on her heart. And she had no idea why. She didn't know what it was for. But she just said God laid a word on her heart. And she felt like she had to share this word with David. So she came in and saw David and she shared the word. It was suicide. And David immediately thought, oh my gosh, is my company going under? This is his baby. He's, he's, he raised this company himself. He was confused. Why would God lay this word on her heart for her to share it to him? Is his company going under suicide? What, do, what does it mean? He was just confused as why God would do this. Obviously, he figured it out after the situation. I'd only been working at Bryson for about four months um, when this happened in my life. And so he immediately knew what it was for. It was God preparing him for my situation. They were the most understanding company a company can be for my situation. I work an hour away from our office. I work out of my home office. And they were just completely supportive of the whole company, David especially. And it was, again, just God having a hand in, in my life, preparing someone that I work with to deal with this. Um, so it was it was really interesting. Again, I, I'm all in, you know, with, with this, David telling me this, you know, we broke down and cried in the office and whatnot, and, and just, I'm all in. So I'm trying to figure out the navigation of, of living in Christ and, and raising my daughters as best as I can. The one off to college, and she's doing great, and my two young ones at home. I'm reading scriptures, and one of the biggest scriptures that I could always come across was Romans 15.4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that it provide that we may have hope. We may have hope. You know, it, it, no matter what happens in the past, we always can have hope 
from the scriptures. And so I, I put that on my phone. I, I read it in my Bible. I highlighted it. That was my, my go-to scripture that I just, I got to have hope and healing and everything. So as I'm doing that, time is passing along. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, things are good. I'm raising my kids. I'm raising my daughters. You know, I'm doing the best I can as a single father. You know, they'll tell you that, you know, dads don't know everything. So um, the daughters are doing good. And, and you know, we're, time's passing. I'm working. I'm all in at the church. I'm, I'm running stuff, uh, doing production and whatnot. And um, finally, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to let it go I don't think I can ever love again, but you know what? They're, they're, I'm going to heal. I, I know I'm trusting in God. Time is going to pass. So as time passes, I did notice this new singer at church. Um, you know, I was in charge of kind of production, and I noticed this, uh, this singer, this redhead singing, and I'm like, okay. She's kind of cute. So I asked Scott. We're walking down the hallway, and uh, I said, Scott, who's this new singer that sings with this? He goes, I don't know, uh, but I'll find out. <laughs> So he found out for me. I asked her, uh, finally, around the Christmas play, I asked her uh, if she'd like to go out for coffee sometime. And so we started dating, and uh, it was kind of nice. You know, it was, it was nice to feel loved again. And so I didn't think I could do that, but it, it, it definitely, God heals you from the inside out. So I was able to, to kind of let my heart open up. Um, you know, the, again, the people of West, and, and just God showed me that, you know, Healing can happen. So I let my heart opened up, and I fell in love with Diana. Um, it was nice. We, um, we definitely uh, bonded very quickly, and we, we have a combined family. And actually, I love Wes so much um, that I'm such a part of this that some of you that have been here for a long time probably remember this moment here. I'll let you show you this video. So this morning, as we close our worship service together, before we sing our final song, we have something that is unique, but West is a unique faith community. You will see coming out here, Bradley Rano. He is one of our part-time staff. He is our worship production manager in the back, and you see beside him in purple, Diana Eshelman. She is a part of our worship team, and Brad and Diana met at West a couple of years ago, and uh, they fell in love. And so on this first Sunday of the new year, they wanted to celebrate their wedding vows together as a part of a worship service. And they asked me if they could do that, and I said, most certainly you can. So they are getting ready to share their vows with their family and with you, their covenant love partners, this morning as the close to our first worship service in the new year. So Brad and Diana, if you'll come and stand right in front of me. And then I want you to join hands and I want you to repeat after me because the whole sermon has been your wedding homily. You live your life in love. It's the longest wedding I've ever been a part of. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that was a great day, January 3rd, 2016. So um, we had our wedding right here in West because you guys are a part of my family. So I wanted to share it with you. And um, just kind of goes to show you that uh, if you trust in God, if, you, if you're there all in, he will guide you. He will heal you. Um, you just have to, to turn it over to him to protect him. And the biggest thing is you have to have hope. Um, just like that saying, uh, the Romans 15.4, you have to have a hope. 
My daughter Madison always told me this about hope. Hang on, pain ends. So that's what hope stands for. So that's my story. And there's a picture of uh, now my new family. It's a nice blended family. I've got a new daughter, so all girls. Um, four daughters to, to raise. One of them married and out of the house, and now I've got three others. And, um, you know, as long as you trust in God, I, I know Angel's up there looking down, smiling at us, uh, and looking over my daughters. And you just, just hold on to, to God's word. Just, just put it all in, and he'll be there for you. So I just want to say thank you very much for letting me share my story. And if you would, I'll go ahead and close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I just want to say thank you very much for what you've given me, what you've given West. Given me, you've given me the people of West, uh, the people of, of your following of Christ. Um, I am very blessed to be here, to be able to tell my story in, in your words I hope I did a good enough job to pass your word along, your love, just giving people hope that if they, they put themselves in you, if you, you're all in, you will protect them, you will heal them, you will be there with them, even in the darkest valleys, you will be by, beside them. They may not see it, but they, you are there. And you're also there in the peaks, and that's the good thing. You're there with us all the time, no matter what, and I just, I just want to say thank you, God. Um, I, I truly... Love you for what you've given everybody, what you've given us here at West, what you've given me, Andrea. Um, You've given me a new family, and, and life is good, and it's all because of you. In your name we pray. Amen.